0: Well, good morning once again. My name is Jonas. I'm one of the pastors here. I love having the opportunity to share with you from God's Word. And I'm delighted that we've gathered today to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm excited about what He might teach us from His Word. And I would love for you to have a copy of the Scriptures, the Holy Bible. And so we have friends that are coming down the aisle. You can just indicate to them if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you'd like to read along, we'd love to have you Uh, Read that Bible along with us We're going to be on page 560 Here in a few minutes Um, I also want to thank those who are joining us online I know a lot of folks are tuning in From outside of this room And some are listening on the radio And for those of you whom that's kind of a normal pattern I want to invite you to come and worship with us in person It's wonderful to be together As the body of Christ And to experience the, the interactions That happen, the community we're building here In this space together It's good to worship with you, I don't think that it's an accident that you're here this morning. I think it's designed by God to bring us together, to sing praises to him, to hear from his word. And I'm hoping that the things that we share today will be uh, helpful to you, that they'll spur you on in taking your next step in your spiritual journey and moving towards Jesus. And my prayer is that at the end of our time together, through song, testimony, preaching and prayer, we will walk away knowing that God has met us as only he can. It was good for us to gather on Wednesday and to pray. We came here and we prayed for our nation, we prayed for our community, we prayed for our families, and we prayed for the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue to radiate throughout the world. And I love that God hears our prayers. He is good and he is faithful. I wanna thank you who participate with us in our prayer ministry. Thanks for submitting your prayer requests, whether it's online or in those response cards as you drop them in the giving boxes. We really do pray for you. And today uh, I I wanna just remind you to pray for your Bethel family, friends. There are many heavy hearts in our midst. Some may be disguised by a smile this morning and that's okay, we get it, we're glad you're here. But there are many hearts that are heavy in our midst with many of life's challenges and it's good for us to pray together. This week as I was preparing to be with you, I, uh, I couldn't shake a memory from nine years ago at a leadership conference where John Maxwell was speaking. Many of you might recognize his name. John Maxwell has proved to be a great leader to follow. And uh, he's written a lot of books. He has a thing for 21 lists of 21. He wrote the 21 indisputable qualities of a leader and the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. He wrote a book called Developing the Leader Within You. He cares a lot about leadership and communication. Well, to this day, Like a shard of glass stuck in my skull, I cannot forget what he said nine years ago because it certainly proved true for me. Like a a modern proverb, he said that the path to simple always encounters complexity. If you wanna get to that which is most simple, the path to simple takes you through simplicity, which is fast and shallow and, and doesn't really take you very far into the land of complexity and then eventually to a place of simple. He writes about his writings that the principles in my book are simple to understand, but they're not always so simple to apply. As I think about that which is simple and I think about that which is truly passing through from simplicity to complexity back to simple, that has depth to it, and that invites us to a greater understanding. I I think of the Proverbs, and I think about this series we're in. That's what the Proverbs are. They're simple statements, full of meaning, and, and just bursting forth with wisdom for you and for me. Here, friends, in this book, we have a collection of some of the greatest wisdom of the ages gifted to us by God through his Holy Spirit. It's moved through the hearts of man, through the hard path from simplistic to complex, and then back to simple. As a side note, I wanna remind you that we do these leadership gatherings as an outreach effort. A month from tomorrow, we'll gather in this room for the Global Leadership Summit. And we'll have speakers from all sorts of areas. And some of these speakers won't know Jesus. And so like Solomon of old, we want to collect from them the wisdom that's helpful and then dispense with the wisdom that isn't, but to look for those nuggets of wisdom. This will be our 13th year. And each year we have guests who come into the building and they say something like, I never imagined a church would host an event like this, with this quality of an experience and this caliber of teaching. You see friends, I think there are a lot of people out there who are looking for wisdom. And we have an entire book of it here called the Proverbs. Not everyone that we know uh, knows Jesus. And every year when we gather for leadership events like Power Lunch or Global Leadership Summit or these other gatherings, our hope is that these will be a taste that draws them in to wanting to know the person who is wisdom himself, who is Jesus. Well, it was like an event like the GLS that I heard that Maxwell thought, and it still rings in my ears, The principles are simple to understand, but they're not always so simple to apply. Friends, when I opened my Bible to look at the proverb that we're discussing today, I stepped right in to Maxwell's reality. It was so simple. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And then I realized for a moment that I'm glad that you couldn't hear the deafening silence the echoes of silence in my head as all I could come up with was dead is bad, the end. Isn't that the journey that so many of us take? We read something, a nugget of wisdom, and we go, oh, it's so easy. And then we sit with it and we mull it over, and all of a sudden we enter into it and go, wow, there's more here than I think I'm seeing this moment. Because I immediately started remembering after the pause of vacuum, (laughs) A few other things the Bible says about money, and pretty soon I was deep into the weeds of complexity. I felt like the golfer who I used to be who would simply hit the ball towards the green but was soon out in the weeds. On my way to the pen, but certainly a little bit lost. The Bible has lots to say about money. Some commentators have counted over 2,000 verses that they say deal with money and possession. Having no desire to be a fact checker of that number... I can tell you that as you read in the scriptures, you will find that pretty quickly God speaks through his word about the way we own things, sometimes owns us. Money and possessions tell us about our heart. Jesus, in one of his most famous statements said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he also said that where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. So when it comes to the rich ruling over the poor and the borrower being a slave to the lender, yes, it's simple, but oh, there is a depth of the richness of the word of God that wants to lean in with us. And an overarching theme of this book, this Bible, is that God owns everything. And everything that we have, everything that we are is simply a gift from him. We're called to be good stewards. I want to invite you, if you have a copy of the scriptures that was just handed out, or if you have your own copy of the Bible, to turn to Proverbs chapter 22. On the Bible we handed out, it's page 560. And what I want to do is to give you the context of Proverbs chapter 22, 7. Now, as I do this, I would invite you to remember that Proverbs were mostly designed to help us live with wisdom. That's why Solomon says he wrote the book so that you would live wisely. They're short statements that are generally true. Maybe they're not true in every single situation, but more often than not, these are true statements and you'll find them generally true. Listen, listen to what Solomon has collected here. A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see the danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and they pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its its wages are riches, riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. These Proverbs are an invitation into wisdom. They're they're situationally applied. There's things here that as you read them, and as you sit and soak in them, and as you repetitively think over and read through the Proverbs, you're going to find opportunities to apply this in your life. One of my favorite Proverbs is the complexity in Proverbs chapter 26. Maybe you've heard it before. Listen to this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. It takes wisdom to know which am I to do now? Should I not answer the fool, or should I answer the fool? What is the opportunity I have? And so, too, in Proverbs 22 7 the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender is an invitation. Proverbs 1 tells us this purpose of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We would be foolish to despise these verses. Solomon collected these from a variety of sources. He composed some, he collected some. As you read in the book of Proverbs, you realize there were some others who participated. The men of Hezekiah, Agor, and Lemuel. These guys collected the wisdom of the ages, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, it's it's here for you through God's word. And here we've landed this morning. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, this isn't all that God says about money, but what this proverb says about money is certainly true. Look at these two very simple observations. The rich rule over the poor. Neither of those statements, whether it be the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender, are condoned or said to be good. In fact, in so many ways, it's it's more of a warning of sorts. Because when it comes to living with money, it's generally true that those with more money have access to more means to make decisions that affect those with less money. Now, that's not always true. But in the borrower-lender relationship, it's absolutely true. I wanna take you for a moment back into the mind of Solomon and to the life that he lived because he knew the law that was given by Moses. You can go back and read this in Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, some of those books you read in the early parts of the Bible, they have things to say about lending to your brothers and sisters. God spoke through Moses this cultural mandate to be fruitful and fill the earth, to bring that which which was in chaos into order. And part of the ordering of chaos was a government for the people of Israel and the laws taught that for the people of Israel, any loan that they shared with a brother in the faith, well, that loan was to be without interest. They were to be a different kind of people. In fact, as you read the Hebrew scriptures, you realize that there were safeguards built into their system to protect those who had more or less resources. To protect those with more resources from believing that it was all theirs. And to protect those with less resources from being um, treated wickedly by those with more. There was a day of Sabbath. There was a year of rest after seven years. On the 50th year, they were to take a year of Jubilee. Something the people of Israel, as we understand, have never done. They failed in obeying the law. This year of Jubilee was to come every 50th year. It would be to release people from their debts, to release those who had encumbered themselves as slaves to the wealthy to repay their debts and to return property to those who owned it. And that year was to be a year of rest for the people of God, that they might remember that all that they have and all that they are is a gift from above. They were not supposed to reap or harvest. It was a time for the people to return to their families and their loved ones. The land promise of God, the seed blessing of Abraham, the the multiplying of the people of God, this was to be their legacy. Well, during the time of the people of Israel, when this was written, in agrarian societies of their day, it was common for lenders to loan money at 20 and 30% annual return. Now, most of us, well, at least some of us, have never experienced a life like that. But you can pretty quickly understand that when you're loaning 20 to 30% annually, you can quickly become a slave to the lender. All it would take for the people of Israel is to have one bad crop and, and the whole thing is off the rails. And so for the people of Israel, if they were to loan one another money, it was to be without interest. Because all that they have and all that they are is a gift from above. These people of Israel were certainly allowed to loan to those outside the faith at, at interest. That's an interesting fact. You go back and read. And, and God allowed his people to loan to the other nations at interest, but not within the camp. They were to be generous towards one another. Well, some of you might remember the early 1980s and late 1970s when the prices in the economy went nuts. And there were these big interest payments. I was reminded recently as I heard a banker who's now retired share his stories from that era, I I, I don't want for you the pain that he experienced. He shared how he would like to never experience that again. Imagine that with me, the one who has lent to the borrower and now the borrower is upside down on their loans and in you as the banker representing the lender have to now assume their property. And you don't want it either because you can't sell it either. It's lost its value. And that's the situation that that, that Solomon is observing here. The borrower can quickly become a slave to the lender. And those who have resources often rule over those with less. Well, what was true during the time of Solomon was also true during the time of Jesus. Those who had greater access to resources were ruling over those with less. As a student of the Bible, you might remember some of what James had to say about treating those with more or less resources differently. In the most simple of statements, he says this, don't. (laughs) Listen listen to James chapter two. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, come sit over here in this best of places, while you say to the poor man, why don't, you, why don't you stand over there, or better yet, why don't you come and sit at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Friends, we live in an upside down world where oftentimes those who have resources begin to believe that it was of their own doing that they got those resources and they somehow deserve whatever it is they think they deserve from those with less. The rich often take advantage of the poor and this should not be so among the people of God. Be careful what you hear me saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's evil to have wealth for surely it is not. Jesus told parables to one man was given one talent to another five and to another 10. Did they choose their talents? No, God gave them their talents. All that you have and all that you are is a gift from the Lord. Whatever it is that God has given you, he's given it to you to use for his purposes and to his glory. And friends, I have to to confess to you that it's real easy to get trapped by the allure of more. Being discontent is a real thing in our world today. Our marketers and advertisers are spending billions of dollars to let you know that what you have is not enough. And it's real easy to get fixated on silly things. I know I have, but as people who've been transformed by the gospel, those who recognize that God is the giver of all good things, and that as our hearts are being transformed from a heart that's never satisfied and always looking for what's next, we can find our satisfaction In Jesus Christ, godliness with contentment truly is great gain. For those of us who are in Christ, we can begin to see with his eyes and remember this truth that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God. And we're simply stewards for the well-being of mankind to the glory of God. Friends, money is not evil. But the love of money certainly is. You can't love both God and money. And like Solomon, we can observe even today in pockets of our society that the wealthy rule it over the poor and that it's easy for the borrower to become a slave to the lender. Recently at Vacation Bible School, the kids and I helped remember Matthew chapter 25 and and I invited them to squeak along with me. I don't know if you know this, but my research shows that if you squeak a Bible verse, you'll remember it. I won't have you practice it now, but ask a kid that went to VBS. They'll know this verse. This verse says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And I bet they could even squeak it for you. Jesus wants us to look out for the poor. Solomon's second observation, when it comes to living with debt, it's real easy for the borrower to become a slave to the lender. The NASB says, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Boy, how I wish my Bible had blinking lights sometimes or that somebody had leaned in with an orange highlighter and said, Jonas, look out for this one. We're on this journey from simplistic to simple. And I I wanna wanna remind you about that little outline in your your, uh, bulletin there. It feels so simple to me, but these truths are building blocks. Debt is money that you owe to anyone for any reason. And friends, when you're in debt, you need to be careful there's a risk associated with your debt. There are different kinds of debt. I went on a debt learning experience this week. There's some of you are like, Jonas, this is so easy. I know, just stick with me for a minute. There's secured versus unsecured debt. Maybe you haven't thought about this in a while, but but some of the debt that you encumber yourself with is attached to a collateral item. Like if you take out a car loan and you don't pay your car loan, they take the car. And so the lender builds into that maybe a lower interest rate because they know they can simply take your assets and then go sell it and get their money back. Unsecured debt is much more risky, and so so the percentage rates are a lot higher. The lender's not as quick to know that you're going to repay it, and so the interest rates go up. There's revolving versus non-revolving debt. There's these debts that are cyclical, like your credit card. If you go into credit card debt, every month it hits you. But when you take out a non-revolving loan, like a mortgage statement, for example, you have agreed upon terms and you know what you're getting into. There's these different types of debt and just the complexity of debt can make this a challenge and create risk. But maybe the most dangerous kind of debt is the one that Dave Ramsey likes to call sneaky debt. Have you seen this? Now, Amazon knows way more about me than they should. But recently, as I went to buy something that was over $100, they suggested that I just make four easy payments. Why pay for all of it now when I could pay for it $32 a month at a time? There's these sneaky things out there that invite us to to take it now and pay for it later. And Proverbs 22 teaches us that the borrower can quickly become enslaved to the lender. But friends, here's the truth. When you find yourself in debt, your future is limited by your past. When you find yourself in debt, your future is limited by your past because you're paying today, what you bought yesterday, last month, last year, or even further back. Now, church family, we know this is true. And there are times in wisdom where you take out debt based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we've done that as a church. In the 1990s, by faith, God led this church family to take out debt and to build this building in, in basically like cornfields, I've heard. <laughs> and there were dirt roads where Starbucks sits. There were, I mean, this was not a developed property, but God led this church to secure debt to an asset and to pay that debt back. In 2009, when I came, the, the church... Feel was differently, and we said, Guys, the debt that we are encumbered by today is holding us back. It's causing us to look back when we need to look forward. And by faith, God's people came together and we said, We're going to pay this off because we don't want to be encumbered by a debt that keeps us looking back when we need to look forward. Friends, when you find yourself in debt, your future is limited by your past. And this church experiences tremendous freedom today, such that if we sense the Lord leading us somewhere, we're in a financial place where we can move. We can do things as God leads us with freedom. And I want that for you too. Well, what was true for Solomon and what was true for Jesus is also true today in the United States. I learned this week that there are places in America today where predatory lending is more common than I could have ever imagined. There are counties in the United States where there are literally more payday loan office fronts than there are grocery stores and Walmarts combined. There are places today in the United States where the the rich rule over the poor and the borrowers are becoming more and more enslaved to the lenders. And people with resources are taking advantage of those with less. For those of us who know Jesus, this should not be so. We should have nothing to do with anything that's predatory in our lending practices to another person. In in fact, there's so much more to this than we can even imagine. Maybe like me, you've taken out one of those 90 days same as cash deals or that 0% interest. And it changes how you think about your money. Friends, I wanna encourage you with the one thing thought today and be patient with me because I'm not done yet. The one thing thought, I think coming out of this, the most wise thing we can do with our money is to be quick to repay those whom we owe. If you have a debt with somebody this morning or some entity, be quick to repay that debt. Don't take out debts that you're not gonna be able to pay back. And don't participate with those who are predators on those with less. Oh, friends, God wants us to be generous because all that we have and all that we are is simply a gift from him back to him. Now, for those of you who are Dave Ramsey fans, we've got a lot of you here. We did a lot back in the 2010s to 2014 and 15, etc., we, we like a lot of what he has to say and he has that debt snowball thing and you can really get after it. There is hope and there are lots of resources available and if you are finding yourself just absolutely consumed by debt, would you do yourself a favor even this week and ask for help? You don't have to do this on your own. There are others who struggle and will walk that road with you. Well, Another observation I made that when, when, I, when I loan money to a friend, if I'm not careful, it changes the relationship. Maybe you've experienced this. When I've been on either side of the loan, thanks to the gratefulness of the, or the kindness of the people that have loaned me money, to, I, I needed a car years ago. And, and someone said, here, Jonas, I want to loan you money without interest. And they allowed me to pay them back, but I hated it. <laughs> Because part of the filter that I saw them was they were the lender and I was the borrower and I didn't want that to change our relationship. Uh, Guys, be careful with this stuff. Debt can be a risky thing because when you find yourself in debt, you find yourself trapped by yesterday's decisions and limited by what you can do tomorrow. So be quick to repay your debts. In fact, this is a theme that Paul picked up on in Romans chapter 13. He said, oh, no one anything except to love one another. Paul writes in Romans 13 that that we shouldn't take out these debts we can't repay and we should be quick to repay what we owe, whether it be our taxes or our bills. I remember Larry Burkett in some of his work, he used to say, don't wait till the end of the due date, just pay it. (laughs) Get it off your plate. Be done with it that you might not become a slave so that people will see that we're captivated by the love of God. We see that we've received and therefore we give. Said another way, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I told you about the echoing in my mind and that vacuum I experienced on the journey from simplistic to complex and back to simple. It wasn't the only sound in my head. There was another sound too, and this sound also scared me because it comes from the New Testament when Jesus says that we should pray this way. Oh God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Maybe you've heard this prayer that Jesus invited his disciples to, to repeat. Well, I grew up in a time, because I grew up in the church, when debt was what we said. And then I went to a different church, and as we were reading the Lord's Prayer, we said trespasses. And then I went to a different church, and they said sins. Maybe you've heard this in the Lord's Prayer. If you've been around the church a little bit, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, have a debt against us. That reality has created fear in my heart. And if I ever come to visit you and you say, Jonas, can we recite the Lord's prayer? I'm just going to give you a heads up. I might ask you, are we doing debts, trespasses, or sins? (laughs) Because I've experienced it all. And if I'm leading it, I just say it with boldness and hope some of you come along with me. But I remember bumbling it not too long ago. And it was a sweet moment. Listen to this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, the reason why there's three different translations for here is because they're all true. When it comes to a holy God, our lives and and our propensity to do things our own way, to want now what really God isn't ready to give us yet, but we take it as if it is ours, leads us to a debt before a holy God. Our sin separates us from God. It creates a debt. And the New Testament often uses accounting terms to describe this. But our sin is also a trespass. And we know that if someone trespasses against us, we have certain rights according to the law that we can take out against the person who is trespassing against us. And so too you and I have trespassed against our God. In modern lingo, We have sinned against our God. Anything we think, say, or do that doesn't reflect the glory of God is sin. And we have sinned against our God. And as we pray and as we beg him for mercy, how dare we be the kind of people that won't then extend that mercy and that forgiveness to others. Jesus has some very strong words about this. So as we pray... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May we remember that in Christ, you have been forgiven the greatest debt you have ever owed. And whatever debt you may have now, I encourage you, be quick to repay it. And if you find yourself in a place where you can't, please reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ that we might help you. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but we will pray to our God who gives all good gifts and we will ask him to walk us through that together. Because friends, if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven. You have been set free. You can actually live out this wisdom that Proverbs says because you know the one who is the personification of wisdom, who is Jesus himself. And the knowledge that you have of him is simply a free gift. You didn't earn it. If God's given you a lot of resources, praise God. It's for his glory and for the benefit of those around you, for the spread of his fame. It's not simply for our pleasure seeking. It's for us to be about his business. If you find yourself as one who is without and you struggle today, hear me. God sees you and he loves you. And so many of the stories of this book elevate you. I think about Elisha and the widow. She had two boys. And Elisha, the prophet of God, came to her and she said, Elisha, I have nothing left. My husband died. It's left me with debts I'll never be able to repay. I must sell my sons into this slavery system so that I can hopefully pay back my debts, but it'll never measure up. And, and Elisha said, before you do that, let us pray. And he said, and before we pray, I want you to go and borrow all the jars from your neighbors. Go get as many as they'll allow you to have. And, and they stood there in the, in the widow's kitchen of sorts or in their house, whatever it looked like. And he, and he prayed that God would provide. And, and then the sons and, and the wife, they began to pour. And as they pour, her little jo- jar of oil never ran out. They ran for more and more and more until all the jars were full. And God provided for her. Having little says nothing about your faith necessarily. Having a lot says nothing about your faith necessarily. It's all a gift from the Lord. Friends, if you haven't received that which is the free gift of Jesus, I wanna encourage you this morning to place your faith in him, to recognize that you have a debt with him that you can't pay, you have trespassed against him, you have sinned, whether little or big, it's all sinful. And that God has waiting for you This thought that your debt is paid in full when you trust Christ, it's wiped clean. Let's live like that this week, with the freedom that comes from knowing Christ. Pray with me. God, thank you that as we study money and we look at debt, we can learn to live wise and and surely God, that's what you want from us. But how much more Lord, you teach us through these things that our hearts can't love you in money. Lord, all that we have and all that we are is a gift from you. So God, help us to be a people who live the freedom that you've given us, that we might serve you as we love others well. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.